You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that prayer. And uh, thanks, Ollie and Doiny. On Thursday afternoon, a team of us from the staff and um, Mark, Joseph, we went out to the hub in Hurstbridge and had a look at that lovely venue. And uh, once you see it, you'll probably want to all come. It's just so, so nice. We began to look to see what we might need in terms of equipment, and one by one the things were ticked off and we're going to need very little, uh, which is really good. We'll need a few things, but um, it's really good what Lord, the Lord has provided for us out there in Hurstbridge. And it's getting very exciting and very close, and we look forward to that. Well, today we're going to continue with our theme over Advent. Uh, we're going to take another carol and uh, have a look at what it teaches. Um, of course, it's drawn from the Word of God, and we'll be going back into the Word of God. Last week, we reflected on the uh, Jesus, the King, the King above all kings, the King before all kings, the King after all kings, and the King behind all kings. And then we thought about ourselves being under the King, and that, that was um, related to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. Jesus is our King. And today we'll go on to look at... Um, Jesus being our God, Emmanuel, God with us. Or as it says in Isaiah 9, mighty God, everlasting Father. And this baby that was born, as we, I think, I think uh, we ever made that, is it Graham, you made that little manger? It helps us to realize how low he stooped. The baby who was born in that little manger was God, is God, and always will be God. And, uh, he came 2017, 2017 years ago, more or less. And uh, he's not only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he is the creator of everything that exists. There is nothing created that he did not create. And I thank Gudrun for reading that portion from John chapter 1 to us today. Although it's not what you would call a birth narrative, um, like you find in Matthew and Luke, it is nonetheless talking about the beginning of Jesus as a person. Verse 1, or verse 14 of chapter 1 of John says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And uh, it's really, really hard for us to actually take in what it meant for the creator of all things to come and make himself so vulnerable as to be born into a dirty old stable in those conditions. But he did it. Uh, and each year we try to get our heads a little bit more around it. And may today, may the Lord give us a wonderful revelation of a little bit more of what it meant for him to become a human being, one of his own creations. I have actually tried to find an illustration that would help us or be parallel to this, but I can't find one. There is nothing that is adequate or nearly adequate to describe what it meant for Jesus to become a human being. It's not like we make a robot and then download ourselves into it. It's not like that. It's much, much more. And here we differ from all the major religions of the world where we actually worship a person um, who is actually God, who came into the world as the Son of God. And um, we even differ from the cults that are around us today. How, how do we know the difference between a Christian, Orthodox Christian church uh, like, like we belong to, and a Christian cult. Well, you look at what they actually say about Jesus. Who is Jesus? 
Some of you within the last week or so have been in contact with several cults. Um, I heard about some of you being in contact with the Way International. Uh, it's a small cult. We haven't heard too much about it, but nonetheless, they don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Then others of you have had the Jehovah Witnesses knock your door this week. And uh, you could see that they were nice people, lovely people, but lost and unsure of where they are. And they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God either. Others of you have Mormons in your family, and uh, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God either in the sense that we do. They believe he's the brother of the devil. And um, Scripture doesn't teach that. Jesus is not the opposite of the devil. He's the, the creator of all things and therefore infinitely higher than him. But should these people come to our door, may they see through our love, if not through our words, that God lives in us. So with this, I would like to introduce us to a name of Jesus Christ, which means God with us. And all of you who've been long-time Christians will know that this is not an introduction, but a reintroduction to Emmanuel, God with us. We have a missionary in our church family called Emmanuel. And uh, you wouldn't um, call him God with us. Um, it would sound very awkward. But Emmanuel sounds very nice. It's a good name. And... Um, that's exactly what it means. I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And the word Emmanuel appears three times in the Bible. Two times in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, and then once in the book of Matthew. And yet it appears four times, as we will see. See who spots it as we read this out. See if you can spot. It will be the third reading of Emmanuel, but it will be disguised. See if you can find it. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be, be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now let's skip over the page to chapter 8, verses 6 through to 10. Chapter 8, verses 6 through to 10. We have another mention. Number... number and number three. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the river, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Anybody see the third Emmanuel there? Now on into Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which is actually a repeat of Matthew or Isaiah 7:14. Matthew 1:23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Today I would like us to have a, a little look at the carol that was translated by a man called John Mason Neal, uh, translated from the Latin carol Veni Veni Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
And this, this carol is actually, as uh, Stephanie Henson pointed out to me the other day, probably one of the only true Advent ca uh, carols because it's sung from a standpoint of Jesus not having come yet. So the Jews could perfectly well sing this song because it's sung from a standpoint that Jesus has not come yet. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Of course, he has come. But let us pretend that he hasn't, and we're in anticipation for him coming. We can see from the story of creation, way back in Genesis, that uh, God was with man in the beginning. So the relationship that God had with man in the beginning was one very special, wonderful, trusting, transparent, interactive relationship. Little detail is told to us in Genesis uh, of how that relationship worked or for how long, we don't really know. But all we know is that it was one of closeness and that conversation and fellowship went on and delegation. All kinds of beautiful things were practiced between God and Adam and Eve. But then something came in to wreck all that. Uh, and that relationship and that proximity that we, we had with God through Adam and Eve. It came through a seed of doubt that Satan placed into the hearts of Adam and Eve. Has God really said? Has God said? Did he really say that? And that's a tactic of the evil one, even right up to this very day. He uses that tactic in all of our lives regularly. Perhaps you've had that tactic in your life this week when he caused you to doubt what God has said or what God has promised. And then after that doubt took root, they went on to disobey the, the, uh, the Lord. And uh, they were no longer allowed to be in the presence of God. In fact, they were driven out from the garden. They were driven out from the immediate presence of the Lord God, which must have been a very terrible thing. And they were prohibited from coming back in again by an angel with a flaming sword, which must have been dreadful. They went out from being friends with God, very close to actually being at enmity with God. And became into a state, they came into a state of being enemies of God through a seed of doubt. And this is, is frightening and terrible. And in this way, they set the scene for the rest of us because we were born into that very particular state as well. Alienation from God. And this carol uh, speaks very clearly um, about the longing that we have for proximity with God again. Can you hear that longing in the, in the repeated phrase, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Exile from uh, where and from whom? We can see in the Bible a series of exiles. We can see the first exile from the garden. And then we can see um, how Israel was exiled in Egypt for 400 years. Then we can see that they sinned again and they were exiled to Babylonia. And exile is a repeated um, occurrence in the life of Israel, the, the country. And they long, even to this very day, to be back in the land and back in the presence of God. One of the things that's very, very clear, even in the last three weeks, is that they are back in the land and that their capital has been recognized by the United States as Jerusalem again. I wonder how significant that is. And what are we really seeing in these days? But that's another message for another time. But anyway, the problem is exile, and that has to be overcome. You see, God banished them from the garden. 
He banished them, but he did not abandon them. Those two words include this, the same little letter, B-A-N, uh, mini word, ban. They were banished, but not abandoned. And that's a beautiful thing. A quick thought here is that when you banish someone, you don't turn your face away from them. You say, get out. You're looking at them. And God really, he did that. He, he said, get out. But he looked at them the whole time. If he were to abandon them, he would have turned around, turned his back to them, turned his face away, and he would have walked away. But God didn't go anywhere. It was we who left because we had to. He banished us, but he didn't abandon us. And looking now back even to Genesis 3, verse 15, we can see the first indication of God's desire to come back into proximity with man again. He left them with this wonderful promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He said this to Satan. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What a promise. And the carol here in verse 2 um, has a little hint of that as well. It says, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. So right away in Genesis chapter 3, there's this wonderful hint that God is going to do something to, to uh, bring us back to him to restore that proximity. Uh, we're not really told very much about what it will be, but when we, knowing what we now know, we can see it clearly. And God begins the process of reestablishing proximity. And it seems like the story of the rest of the Bible is all about restoring that proximity. It, God comes closer and closer and closer. And even in Genesis chapter 5, only five chapters or two chapters after chapter 3, we hear of Enoch, a man who walked so closely with God already that one day God just took He wasn't around anymore because God enjoyed his fellowship so much and took him away. And then we see uh, God choosing a family, choosing a man, Noah, and his family uh, to start all over again, to begin to restore that proximity. You will know that in Genesis chapter 6 it says, the imaginations of their hearts was only evil continually. Noah was a righteous man. He wasn't um, what you would call uh, part of that total rebellion against God. He was different. And he was chosen. And through his family, God saved the human race. Genesis chapters 6 to 9. But after Noah, things deteriorated again. And this was much to the sadness of God. And then we, we see about the Tower of Babel, where God confuses the languages and spreads people out because they had all congregated together and they weren't occupying this beautiful world as he had asked them to do. We see in the, the patriarchs, you know, the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God wanted so much to be close to them again. So he began to speak to them. He began to visit them. And visions and dreams and special visitations of God became the norm for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God was moving. It wasn't they who were moving towards God, but it was actually God who was moving towards them. Because while he had banished them, he hadn't abandoned them. And the way that this really affects us is that God started off small in one little clan, one nation, to make his way known to us in the entire world. And then we could see as time went on into the Exodus and things like that, that God began to appear to his people. We can become closer to his people through things like a burning bush, pillar of fire, cloud by day. And yet God dwelt in unapproachableness. 
in the Holy of Holies, in the cloud. No one could go near him. Not even a goat could go on the mountain without dying. So while God was closer to his people, you couldn't really say that he was with them in the true sense of the word. He was beginning the process of reconciliation to the point where we find ourselves today and then beyond that as well. We see in the carol in a verse, let me see which verse it is, I think it's verse 5. It goes on and says, O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. It was like awe and wonder, and nobody could really go near it at all. God was unapproachable. So it seems that in a general sense, the situation could not be described as God with us. Not yet. Not truly. He came and he went for occasions. And then as we go on into um, the judges and into the prophets and into the kings, we see this pattern of God coming uh, for special occasions and events and then leaving again in a sense. So he put his spirit on people and then he took his spirit off them again. He came in the... Jesus actually appeared, and people believe, in what we call epiphanies, special Old Testament appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he was gone again. And then came a period of 400 years when there is no record of the Lord using a prophet or speaking to the people of God. Can you imagine 400 years without any proof of the reality of your religion? We have been blessed here in the West because over the years since, you know, all down through the years, there have been revivals and upsurges in belief, um, especially since five, uh, 500 years ago in the Reformation. Um, then we had um, revivals in the United States, in Great Britain, Africa, Korea, India. We've had revivals in many areas of the world. Mighty wonders of God, which are going on today. Uh, even in our own midst, God has been so gracious to us because in the last number of months, he's been healing people regularly. Um, I heard this week and witnessed one healing and I heard of another uh, where people were healed immediately. A person, one person was healed immediately. And God has been gracious. But can you imagine 400 years without any of that? Can you imagine how stale, mechanical, rigid, and irrelevant our religion would get if there was no divine intervention, no evidence of God working in people's lives? Can you imagine that? But praise God, that is not the case. He is working in our lives daily. And he's manifesting himself in a wonderful, wonderful way. And I expect he'll do it more and more. In Matthew chapter... In um, uh, Matthew it says uh, that the Bible... or The Lord came in the fullness of time when the time was right. That was after 400 years. We'll read Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just at the right time, God came and intervened. And this time, God took a form in which he stayed for 33 solid years. It wasn't just coming and going for an event. It was for... 33 solid years. When I say God came and went, it doesn't mean his um, omnipresence left, no. He's always been there, but it's in that special relational way and that permanent way that he didn't stay. 
He lived and he walked and he talked and he ate and he slept and he mourned and he wept with us and for us for 33 years. And then he died. And this was the most intimate connection that God had with his prime creation since the days of the Garden of Eden. No need for a tabernacle or a temple or a big curtain to separate him from the people. No, he, was, he became one of us. He actually became one of us. And he stayed for a concentrated, prolonged, vulnerable time. He had open interaction with us. And he subjected himself to the whims of humans to the very point where he allowed them to spit on him, to slap him, beat him, scourge him, kill him. He also submitted himself to his parents, the Bible says. He submitted in a loving way to two people whom he made. Isn't that amazing? I can't get my head around that. But he did it for us. And it's profound. Really profound. So what are the implications of God with us? What does it really mean for us today? Well, I believe firstly, and being minimalist here, it, it, it means God is interested in us. That's the least we can say, isn't it? God is interested in us if he actually came to us in any shape or form whatsoever. If he did that at all, it just shows us that he's really interested in us. And I might go a little bit farther to hint that he actually loves us. That he really loves us. Because he came and took our shape and our form and our very substance and became one of us. It tells us that he wants relationship and that he has bypassed religion. This relationship was impossible beforehand because of what we had done. He had to be the initiator of it. We could never have done that. Religion is all about initiating a way to God. But what Jesus did in becoming a man is about God initiating a real, real proximity to us. And this is so comforting to us as people living in a world today that is increasingly, a Western world I should say, that is increasingly turning its back on us and on Jesus. This world doesn't really acknowledge the very being that gave it life. Let's pray that one day it will, that this Western society will turn again to loving Jesus, the one who gave them life. It's ridiculous, isn't it, that our creator is so shunned by our people. It just shows you his patience, that he hasn't come down on us in serious and heavy judgment. His patience is much greater than ours. So we praise him for that. I want to ask you today, have you invited Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior? The songs that we were singing about this morning elevate God, they elevate Jesus. They proclaim his kingship and his lordship. But is he your savior and lord today? Are you here today because you came along with someone? Um, maybe out of obligation or you want to honor them, but you don't know Jesus as your lord and savior yet. I encourage you to ally yourself to this great king, this great lord of all creation who became one of us and identified with us as a human being. Do you still not know him? Put your trust in him. So the first implication is that of God with us is that God is interested in us and that he loves us. 
The second is that God is not far away. These are very simple conclusions. If God is with us, then he's not far away. And um, one feature of religion is that it assumes God is inaccessible or hard to find. And that's one of the characteristics of the Gnostics um, that were an early cult of Christianity and also of the Masons, the Freemasons. They pretend that God is inaccessible, hard to find, and you have to go through 33 degrees to find him. And then when you do find him, he turns out to be Lucifer. If you are involved in the Masons here today, I encourage you to flee that Luciferian cult and put your heart and your trust in Jesus Christ. If you have relatives who, or even parents or grandparents who've been involved in that, I encourage you to get prayer for that, to be liberated from the curses that have been taken upon the generations. But God is not far away. He's accessible. He is with us. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that amazing? God is not far away. And since he is not far away, he has come to us. Now we can come to him if we invite him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary and burdened this morning? Well, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is like that piece of wood that uh, you, people used to use to plow with. Put over two oxen or um, different kinds of animals, and they would plow. And Jesus says, take that. I'll carry one side of it and you carry the other. And we'll do this together. And it turns out that he takes most of it. All of the weight, really. That's why he says it's easy. And you will re find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If God were not with us, he could never say, take my yoke upon you. He's so close that he's right beside us, right there in the field with the other side of the yoke over his shoulder. So the implications of God with us are firstly that God is interested in us, he loves us, and secondly that he's not far away, and thirdly it's almost like a conclusion, um, oh is that how we're supposed to live? Since he came to be with us and we saw him, how he lived was recorded, we now come to the conclusion as to how we are supposed to live too. He lived a perfect life, and now we can see how one empowered by the Holy Spirit is supposed to live. You know, I'd, I think if, if Jesus never came, we never had the gospel. Humanity would have ceased long ago because we would be so disillusioned with humanity that there'd be mass suicides everywhere. But now that we have seen how a person can live, we have hope. And we're seeking to follow him, and we have noticed that our lives have changed because of the fact that we are Empowered by the Holy Spirit, of course, we are trying to live like him. And of course, our lives are working out better as a result. We needed Emmanuel to come to show us how to live. But there's more. There's a lot more than that. Because we've only got to the stage of God with us. There's another deeper stage. When Emmanuel came to the end of his time on earth, there appeared to be a, a contradiction how could God with us then become 
God away from us again when he was going back to heaven. This must have been a very, very sad time for the disciples. When they contemplated that he was going back, Jesus said to them in John um, chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. So that must have been quite a, a shock to the disciples who had him for three years to let it sink in that he was going away. They were not, they were not going to have his presence anymore, they thought. But the wonderful thing is that as John 14 continues, Emmanuel lets his disciples know that God will continue to be with them in a very different form. No longer visible or exterior, but within them. If you love me, in verse 15 it says, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So what hap what's happening here is that things are moving from Emmanuel, God with us, to God in us. Isn't that amazing? God beside us, to God in us. That is a marvelous thing. And um, God with us has stepped up to God within us. This is really, really deep and something to meditate on. And this truth can really only be seen when it is revealed to us by the God who lives within us. It's not blasphemous to think that God is in us. It's blasphemous to say we are God. That's blasphemous. But to say that God lives in us is not blasphemous because it's totally supported by Scripture. A more, a more amazing thing still is that going to heaven and giving us the Holy Spirit, Jesus promoted Emmanuel to the place of God within us, but not only the Holy Spirit. It's actually the Trinity is living inside us. This is something that came to me as I prepared for this message. I probably knew it in a kind of a theoretical way, but listen to what verse 23 of John 14 says. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Isn't that amazing? He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus said that he and the Father will come. And that's amazing. So what he's now saying is that the very Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, will take up residence with us and in us. Who is the us? It's the ones who obey the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And this is massive, especially when it sinks in for the first time that God is living in the heart of a believer. And the ramifications of that are very, very, very huge. And no wonder Jesus said later, or earlier on in chapter 14, he said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And where's the Father going? And the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they're coming to live inside us. And they're the ones who empower us to do these things. And it's so wonderful to see that more and more of us are believing this and stepping out and praying with people who are ill, people who need salvation, people who are depressed, 
people who have anxiety, and we are seeing Jesus heal them through us. That's wonderful. And I would love that in this year, not only do we see more and more healings, but we see more and more salvations. May 2018 be a year when this church is actually packed out with new believers. People who weren't necessarily brought up in the church, but people who are beginning to see that this world of ours is falling apart. Its worldview is untenable, self-destructive. And they ask the question, where is the truth? Who is the truth? How can I find it? They come in here and they hear it and they trust Jesus or they hear it from you out there. Just check the mirror on the way out again this morning. Not to see if your hair is straight, but to see who the missionary will be out in Melbourne this week. I know most of you go out that door, but <laughs> try that door today and take a look at the mirror. So in summary, what we are saying this morning regarding Emmanuel is this. God is with us. God is taking the initiative to restore fellowship with us. Emmanuel is God. Not only that, but he is one of us. He is God's fulfillment of the promise to come and crush Satan. And he's done that. And he does it through us as we resist the devil every day. He is the fulfillment of his promise to restore all things. Emmanuel is in the process of restoring all things. He had, be he had to become one of us in order to be able to save us. Then he left and he sent the Holy Spirit to be in us. All of us who obey his teaching. Is Emmanuel living in you today? Do you know his presence? Is he guiding you? Is he informing your conscience? Is he empowering you for life? If he's not, why not? What is holding you back today from accepting Emmanuel into your life? This is the wisest thing any human could do to ally themselves with their creator, their king, and their judge. You do this by confessing your sin. Sin, you might say. Are you calling me a sinner? No, the Bible is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every one of us in here. Every single one of us. You wouldn't want to be accused of being holier than thou, would you? No. It's all of us. Even the Old Testament in Isaiah 64 says, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we need to be cleansed. We need to have the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us. We need to have a manual living inside us. In order to be able to live this life as humans were meant to live it. And if you would like to speak to any of us today about coming to faith in Jesus, we'll be here. The staff, Stuart and Braun, Andrea and Gudrun, and um, whatever other staff are around, I can't see. They'll be willing to speak to you, even the elders of the church. Don't leave today without getting right with God. May the Lord bless you. I'll pray now and the band will come. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you are Emmanuel living in us now. Those of us who love you, who have committed our lives to you, 
who are obeying you. We thank you for this wonderful truth. We ask you that it will sink in, Lord, and empower us this week and embolden us to speak out lovingly and graciously to our friends and family. We think of this Christmas period coming up when we will all reconnect with our families again. We will reconnect with work colleagues and friends in the street, perhaps, and street parties. May the light of Christ shine out of us. May the words of Christ come out of our mouth. And may our witness be effective to your glory as we live alongside and we have Emmanuel living inside us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.